Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Fresh Coat, Paint Care, Rustoleum Brands, and Nice Job. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, the show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast, we host guest John McFarland. John is the founder and owner of McFarland Painting, a residential and commercial painting company based in metropolitan Detroit that does over $5 million in annual revenue. John discusses his path of dropping out of college to start McFarland Painting, and he explains why he describes McFarland Painting not as a painting company, but rather as a professional company that paints. John gives advice on how painting company owners can learn from business owners in other industries, and he discusses the employment compensation model at McFarland Painting and how changing this model seven years ago has really helped propel his company's growth. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. John, thank you for being on the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's our pleasure. So tell us uh, a little bit about McFarland Painting, uh, the background. What do you guys do? We do a lot of the same things that you know larger residential repaint paint companies do. Uh, a couple things we do besides the straight interior and exterior uh, redos. Um, we do a lot of kitchen cabinet painting. Right now, our capacity is at eight a week. Uh, we close on a new building in uh, eight days, and so we'll be doing about twelve or fourteen a week when. We're operational in there. Um, and then staircase and banister, refinishing baluster swap outs is kind of another specialty item that's a little different than what some companies get into. We have an entire crew of three guys dedicated to do that. They do that five days a week, um, restains and, and swap outs and new posts and things like that. And that's kind of a, a little different and interesting. Yeah. So you guys, you, you do residential and commercial, correct? Yeah, mainly residential, about 85% residential and repaints. Very little new construction paint for us. Okay. And so 85% res- residential, almost all repaints. W- what percentage of that would you say is kind of this more specialized work, the, the kitchen cabinets and, and everything else? Yeah, cabinets make up about a quarter of our business. Um, and the, the, the stair stuff is increasing at a pretty rapid clip in 2022. I expect it to be you know maybe 15%. 10 to 15%. That's great. And are those your, you know, the cabinets and, and the um, staircase, are, are those your higher margin or highest margin jobs? Uh, cabinets are because materials are cheaper. Uh, the staircases are a little different because materials make up a much higher percentage than, you know, paint material for our everyday work. So. Sure. Got it. And what do you do? You guys do revenue wise in 2021? Uh, 2021, we're about mid four millions, and I expect us to be about five two or five three this next year. That's great, man! Congratulations. Thank you. Sizable. And and uh, so you guys are four and a half last year. Expect to be over five um, this year. When were you guys founded? I became a residential builder in 2005, so you know that's really the first official start of the company. Sure. Okay. In Michigan, you're required to be, you were required to be a licensed painter. 
Um, I went for the full residential builder license. It encompasses all things. Um, and actually, I don't know really why, but a few years ago, they got rid of the painting license in Michigan. But uh, we have three people on staff that are full residential builders, and we maintain those licenses. I feel it. Being overqualified is an okay thing. Yeah. And, and you guys are based in Metro Detroit, correct? Yeah. City is Livonia. Uh, we have two offices, one in Livonia and one up in Highland. Highland is kind of a suburb uh, northwest of the city of Detroit and Livonia is just exactly west of Detroit. Nice. And, and are you the, the sole owner, sole founder? I am. Yep. Okay. Great, man. Well, um, you know, you and I were speaking previously and you had mentioned, uh, kind of just diving in here, John, you had mentioned that one of, one of the things that makes you unique, you think really from a lot of other painting company owners is how you compensate uh, your employees and, and what your employee model looks like. You mind kind of speaking about that? Yeah, sure. I think it's, you know, there's successful companies do a lot of the same stuff, correct. And successful painting companies do even more of the same stuff with how they market and do things and their in-house process, their follow-ups. There's not much different that we do. Um, but we pay our, our staff uh, a lump sum percentage of the job. And so they're full-time you know, W-2 employees. These are not subcontractors. We, we believe strongly um, from our point of view that having employees is better than subcontractors. Um, it allows us to be consistent. We see our people in the morning and the afternoon. Um, but one of the problems with that is, you know, if it's just a stale nine to five employee relationship, um, you're dealing with incremental raises and all these other things that no one likes. So we pay a percentage of the job. Our, our crews are incentivized to you know, stock the warehouse and get out to the job on time, avoid unnecessary trips to the store, uh, have the trucks and, and all the tools that they need to do a job right, look at the photos in the job file so that we have a game plan before they show up to a project. They know exactly who's doing what and how they're going to dissect it. So we're working faster, um, you know, instead of kind of that slow start and getting our bearings, they know exactly where they're going to go to. Uh, and I think it's only fair for me if we, you know, empower them to do that, that we pay them you know, some of the savings for what is wasted time, you know, to not be going to the store and waiting in line and doing those things. Sure. And, and um, so have you guys always been doing that or, or was this something you switched? Yeah, we switched seven years ago. So, you know, we've right. done that for millions and millions of dollars worth of work. Um, and, mm-hmm. and generally what we put together seven years ago is the same. Um, you know, did we have a good job plan? Was the estimate well written? Do we have good pictures? We really look at when jobs come back good or bad. Why? You know, do we need to adjust prices? Are materials creeping up? Is there, you know, a problem with the, the type of skill sets on a, on a job or on a crew? You know, are we trying to put square pegs and round holes from a labor standpoint? We, you know, cabinets, we have a very specific group of seven guys that do cabinets. Uh, our other guys probably could, but they don't do them as well. They don't make as much money doing cabinets. So, Cabinet crew stays on cabinet crew. You know, big residential exterior guys that love walking roofs and doing that, they get paid really, really well. That's not for everybody. Um, so we specialize crews and teams based on what's going to make them most money, which inherently makes us more money as, as the owner, you know? Sure. Yeah, a win-win. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what percentages or, or if you have some sort of scale that you yeah. use for, for the lump sum? Yeah. So for us, our number is 31% gets paid to labor. That's uh, the gross ticket. So we're not accounting for taking off paint material or or stock material sundries or anything like that. Um, We pay to a crew lead or project manager. They get another 2% on top of that. They may be running multiple jobs, um, different sites in a day. They're they're working project managers for us at this point. Um, So that's incentivizing them to have more, more than five or six people underneath them. That becomes kind of real money at that point. Um, and it, we found that it's been successful. I will tell you the first couple of years that we did it, we noticed our material consumption going through the roof. You know, we had six years of data that we kind of arrived at this 33% total number on. Um, and then, you know, guys were throwing stuff away. Guys were, you know, not cleaning things out. Stuff was coming up missing. Um, so we actually added in another component where, um, we're incentivizing and paying quarterly bonuses to our project managers um, that are being cognizant of what we're actually expending on those goods. And uh, that's, again, wildly successful. Our bonuses for quarter four last year were anywhere from 1800 to 4700 bucks um, to keep that number where we want it to be because reducing that labor percentage from 33% won't go over real well. So that's kind of a stopgap for us. The guys that are ordering stuff are incentivized to keep track of things and it works it works really well 
And what are you trying to keep that uh, supply percentage below? We'd like it to be 17%. Okay, make sure you have that 50%. Yeah, yeah, we'd like that to be there. Um, And in fact, I pay them every dollar that's underneath 17%. You know, so um, those guys that run and are looking at a four or $5,000 quarterly bonus, um, you know, they're running at probably 16%, 15.5. So, you know, bulk order, stocking stuff, that's part of it. But honestly, the biggest metric is getting to the job and working and getting off the job and being done, you know, not having callbacks and other things. Those cost more inefficiencies than, you know, saving a couple of cents on a roll of tape or something like that. It really is more process orientated. Uh, guys, you know, our guys, our crews meet at the shop in the morning. So if they're here and they're back in the shop and they're here for half an hour or 40 minutes, uh, it's hard to be real productive and overcome that once we get to a job site and, and really get to work. So we try to get them out of here quick. And, you know, if we have to have guys planning or setting up vans, one guy does that. Two guys might do that. Not a crew of eight or nine guys kind of hanging out, you know, talking. That doesn't happen here. So, yeah. And that, did you say they meet again in the afternoon or just in the morning? Yeah, our crews, del- our crews um, ride in our vehicles. Uh, our lettered vans. And so almost all of our staff is starting and stopping their days at the shop. We have managers that uh, mainly because of space concerns, take vans home. Our sales staff takes van or their cars home. Um, but most of the painting crews, their stuff is stored here in the warehouse. Okay. Got it. And, and so do you mind, I mean, this, this is kind of a, I guess maybe diving into minutia here, but when, when they meet in the morning or in the afternoon, do you have any sort of set stand-up meeting or, or protocols you cover? What does that process look like? Yeah, so we have a handful. We probably have on the high side, and I would at times say too many weekly meetings and structured things. Uh, Monday, we do a whole company shop talk. You know, that may be silly stuff, letting people know what the deal is for the Christmas party in three months. It, it sure. may be handing out new gear and, and uniforms and that stuff. Um, that happens on Mondays. Um, the, each individual team, which right now is about six to 10 guys, um, those teams have a meeting once a week too. I have a sit down with what we kind of call our leadership. So my business manager, my sales manager, my operations manager for the paint side and my operations manager for cabinets uh, Thursday morning, every other Thursday, today was one. Um, but those team meetings that they do every week, they're going through and looking at their checklist. It actually has a category that says, time out of shop. So they're supposed to be at 7.30 a.m. If we're not out the door by 7.40 um, and we're a crew of three, four guys, what did we spend 30, 40 minutes doing? You know, uh, it's great to catch up with people. We want everyone to be friendly, but it doesn't take 30 minutes to uh, make sure we have the 10 gallons of paint for the job and open the overhead door and get out. So uh, yeah. those kind of checklists are built in, you know, so that we're, we're making sure that we're measuring that. And if we're, if we're slow getting out, it's going to be hard to make up for that when we're on the job site. Yeah. Yeah. It makes absolute sense. So you made a a really big shift in your business model um, seven years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. with how you pay your employees. It wasn't my idea. It was actually my my number one producer was his idea. (laughs) Really? He said, yeah, he was driving a half an hour to our shop at least. And then sometimes farther to jobs. And he said, you know, I like it here. I'm a lifer, but um, I think if you just kind of figured out how you know, what we cost you, you might get more out of us if we did this as a lump sum percentage and we tried it with him for a month. Um, we really didn't tweak very much. He loved it. We loved it. And, uh, you know, we let guys kind of opt into it for the first four months because it was so new. Yeah. You know, certainly the, the crew's concerns at that point that it was going to be work harder, faster, longer coming from me. We work less hours right. now than we did then. I mean, we were 55, 60 an hour week guys at that point when we were hourly. And now we're 45, 52, 52 in the summer is a pretty normal, busy week. We really don't go beyond that very much. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's one of the the trends and, you know, some people use 1099, some people do, um, you know, encourage people to create their own companies and subcontract that way. Some people do W2s, but one of the big themes that I've noticed uh, for success here is in, is allowing whoever is your, your painting, whoever is your producer, your estimator, giving them some sense of ownership, mm-hmm. you know, some sense of control over, over what happens to them. Yeah. Um, now when you guys, I mean, it's very obvious you're trying to keep your profit margins, your gross profit margins above 50%, you know, 50% kind of at, at the worst. Um, if 17% is going to your supplies, what was it before? Was it, was it worse? Was it lower? 
It, it was about the same, you know, 17 to 18. But when the first two years we did this system, I mean, it crept up 21. And then the second time it was 23%. Oh, wow. And so so the labor rate doesn't work at that. You know what I mean? And reducing right. the labor rate would have not gone over well. So we had to kind of address it from the back end, you know, with the material consumption. And with, you know, with this switch, obviously it was a little bit bumpy with the supply percentage in the beginning. But what have been the major benefits? Has it been that your gross profit has improved? Has it been that you've been able to grow faster? What have you really seen as the major benefits? You know, I think the number one benefit is the culture. Uh, our guys operate as if they're business owners themselves. So callbacks are like terrible, right? If if you're an hourly employee, do you really care if you get a callback to a job? You're getting paid the same or you're starting a new project. You know, our guys, those walkthroughs got better because that labor is paid. You want to drive a half an hour to a job for a two-second touch-up? It's terrible. You know, no one wants to do that. So their walkthroughs are more consistent. Their accountability with each other is more consistent. You know, if guy's going to be sick, I'm the last one to hear about it. You know, their, their coworkers and their project manager, they know they already have a game plan before it even, you know, gets anywhere close to me. Uh, and, and I think that culture is probably the single biggest benefit from that. Certainly financially, it allows a little bit more predictability with what we're doing. When we adjust prices, we're inherently building right now, right? With inflation, we're inherently building in pay raises because we're adjusting our yep. prices and they're paid at percentage of that. So um, it, development is kind of handled in that because when someone gets faster at drywall or spraying or, you know, faux finishes or stain work, uh, maybe they were only worth $15 an hour spraying when they started, but they're really fast now and they're worth 30, 32, 34. This, this solves that, you know? Uh, guys aren't disenfranchised asking for a quarter raise or a dollar an hour raise. It just doesn't, uh, you know, those terribly uncomfortable conversations that are hard to scale um, at times, this, this fixes that, which, which we like. I love that. You know, you, you guys are already, it's built in, built in raises and built in development raises. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you have any, well, first off, did you lose anyone? You know, even positive cultural shifts can sometimes not be a fit for everyone. Not right away. Uh, not right away, you know, certainly after that, not because of the pay system, but because of the, the more formal nature of the company, when we got our second lease space and we started to grow, um, there were people that, that liked the transient nature of painting and just being able to kind of come and go and fly under the radar and not have accountability. And so we did have people that either left or were asked to leave, you know, but it took about a year of this for them to really get uncomfortable with it. That's interesting. So you, you almost built this accountability and, and people who probably were not your best employees already and are, were no longer a fit and, and just eventually kind of found the door themselves. Mostly it sounds like. Yeah. If you think about our teams of, you know, if there's three or four guys on a project uh, and girls, we have five painters or female now, um, you know, if, if you're slow or, or, or lagging or not picking up your share of the weight, you're getting a percentage of that, that profit. So they don't tolerate it. You know, those guys will get washed away pretty good or say, this just isn't a great fit for you. I like you, but, um, you know, you're, you're kind of more of a nine to five. I just want to work in assembly line type of mentality. And that's, that's great, but that's not here. Um, you know, we've had a lot of guys who are like, I love it. It seems good, but I can't handle thinking about ways to be faster. Uh, that little bit of stress does, does it, you know, wear on people and it's not. Yeah. Fair. yeah, it is. I mean, it does there is definitely an element of stress there that was, would not have been there before. Do you, I was going to ask about the culture, you know, because I, I could see conflict arising. If one person is, is on a crew and really fast and someone else is really slow, that's obviously going to cause some tension. How has that worked? We're pretty lucky and we're pretty lucky the last few years, you know, really four years on, I would say we're dealing with very little interpersonal conflict, you know, personality deals on jobs. Um, we do hire a certain type of person, but even then there are certain teams or team leaders that might not be a good fit for painter A. Um, so we will try a new hire on a couple teams and then kind of pull the new hire and, and pull the crew uh, and say, you know, what did people think about Brandon? They're like, I, I liked him, but I, his fear of heights, man, I just don't think he's going to fit with us. We think so much outside. He's Way too here. afraid of the heights. Yeah, You know, um, where another group is like, you know, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't know as much, but he can deal with the heights and we'll fix his lack of knowledge or experience. That's no big deal. Um, you know, yeah. so the training, if we have guys that come in on a group and we stick them with somebody, they're more invested to train them because when you're better, they're better and everyone makes more money. You know, again, it kind of, 
fixes. I'm not saying it doesn't create some problems because it definitely has its own stress, yeah. but it fixes a lot of the traditional, you know, hiring and performance metric issues that we deal with as business owners. Yeah, there's a term called intrapreneurship. Um, you know, basically being an entrepreneur within a company, and and a lot of it has to do with uh, accountability and and sort of finding innovative ways to improve things. And it sounds like this would would probably encourage that. Yeah, encourage it. Well, like with our cabinet division, Mike runs our cabinet division. And you know, that was something that was about six years ago when it started to gain popularity. And we did it the, the way that a lot of guys do, right? We did it in basements and garages and taped it up. We have spray booths now. It's a totally different animal. But um, that was kind of a rock, paper, scissors, hot potato deal. I mean, Mike was the old man on the totem pole. And the other guys that have been with me for a little bit said, I don't want to deal with it. This does not sound like it's profitable. Um, I mean, Mike would, Mike would kill somebody trying to take that from him. He's built this system of, we paint this side in this order and we number doors this way. And wow. when it's an accent color, we change colors of tape. And I mean, he's got all these little built-in metrics that it's way better than what I would have done with it because I let him just run with it and take it over. Um, and, and that's his baby, not even mine. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's ownership inside yeah. the company. Yep. So what do you, do you mind sharing your average ticket values for, you know, cabinets, all the different kinds of work that you do? Yeah. Our average cabinet value is a little slightly larger than our average ticket. So cabinets would be about 39.50. Our average job is about 3,736.77, I think is what it came out to last year. And our average exterior is, you know, north of 4,000 by a bit. So we're not painting terribly large projects. You know, we're doing one, two day jobs for the most part with our crews. Uh, and is that intentional or is that just how it's kind of played out? You know, it's a sweet spot for us. Um, the, the bigger jobs, more can go on. It's not that we don't do residential interiors for 20,000. We just had one come through for 30,000. That's just a repaint and a nice big home. It's not even a crazy scope of work. Um, I like that tempo. I do. And our guys do. We found that that's kind of the most profitable. We're in and out quick where people don't get sick of having us there every day. Um, but it's not necessarily a new customer and a new set of rules and a new hot button every morning trying to get a feel for, you know, how you want things done in your house, how you communicate best. Um, so, you know, two days is kind of a nice, nice deal for us. Cabinets take a week. Uh, you know, we do cabinets Monday, Tuesday, we're in the home, Friday, we deliver doors. Uh, and that's pretty scripted. Nice. So you guys are, are on track to uh, break 5 million. What mm -hmm. do you primarily attribute that growth to? Um, it, it's not my looks. It's not my intelligence. Um, you know, I, I think it's me understanding years ago that it wasn't going to be me. And, and now, so what's happened the last couple of years have been really explosive growth. We've historically grown at nice 15, 17, 18% numbers. Um, it's safe and predictable. Uh, we hired a marketing admin just over a year ago. Um, I got really, really lucky with a couple of key hires, my business manager, Chris, my operations guy, Garrett, um, that like the freedom, like the culture and have uh, uh, certainly enough good ideas that they're willing to take what I think might be right and tell me when it's not right and implement maybe a better way to do it. Um, and I think that's probably the number one thing with almost every business owner. If, it, if you knew everything, then it would be a company of one. I, I really like the help I get from my support staff. I think that's been the, the single biggest reason. I, I did our social media stuff before. I did a really half-assed job of it, frankly. It wasn't good. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't regular. Uh, Elizabeth is great and way better at it than I am. So, you know, giving up that little bit of control, it's still hard for me to give up control. Um, I don't do estimates now anymore. I gave that up about three years ago. That was hard. I love doing quotes. But 10 years before that, I loved painting houses and, you know, giving up that little bit of control Thankfully, I've been you know, able to kind of realize the people do a better job with their jobs than I would have anyhow. So it's not as hard to reminisce about that. Although I still yeah. like estimating dealing with customers. But. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a great point, you know, delegating. Um, and I, I think this point that you made about you understood a long time ago that it wasn't going to be you. I would love to go deeper into that. What do you, what do you mean by that? Sure. So, um, I mean, I could talk for hours about how I got into this, but I'm the, I'm the child of two public educated uh, educators and administrators. Um, so, you know, college was it. College was the plan. And um, I, I went and changed majors to construction management and then dropped out. 
um, because the construction management program was not doing what I wanted it to do to be an entrepreneur. There was no component to help me with that. Um, my dad was pissed, to say the least. Him and I got along splendidly. <laughs> Can imagine, um, yeah. He, you know, he thought it was a terrible mistake. I gave up some money I was getting from the criminal justice program to go to another school, and uh, he just thought it was a terrible mistake. And you know, he heard every horror story of things like that. Now he was handy. He actually got into teaching as a substitute shop teacher and took a long-term position that was a principal and an administrator. Um, so he could do stuff, but he just felt like, God, this is just going to be a rough life for him. Um, he retired two years later and I handed him business cards and I had him selling jobs for me because I, you know, he wanted something to do. Um, I think his concern was just trying to get that buy-in for me. And was I really going to take this seriously and do it? Or was I just enjoying having, you know, some extra spending money in a a nice new truck and owning my own house at 21. You know, what was the, what was the motivation behind it? Um, at that point, I realized what I wanted was to build a business that could actually support other people and their lives and their families, pay them well, you know, above our area's averages, um, you know, allow them to have toys and, and a boat and a car and, and these other things that people should have and take vacations and do things um, where it's not just this paycheck to paycheck kind of miserable existence um, that yep. some contractors and painters, I think, honestly, we're kind of at the bottom of the barrel in the, in the construction hierarchy of, of you know, just a, a loose, a little bit like a, a transient gypsy in nature. And, and that, that was not what I was going to be comfortable being a part of. So, um, you know, it was important for me to build out stuff that people could be proud to work for, even if it wasn't their name on the truck was a, a big motivator for me. I, I probably should have changed the name years ago. Uh, it's a little bit too far past that now. Um, but, you know, I have guys that are super proud to say where they work and, and really care about it as if it's their own. Um, you know, yeah. they, they wear our gear when they're out, you know, at restaurants and places and, and sporting events. And, uh, and and that stuff is important. To me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it means you've built a culture and that people are proud of. And I think, you know, you, you started there, the way that I've seen it, again, we, talk with painting contractors across the country, I have clients across the country, and then I run this show. So I talk with a lot of painting company owners and, and I've seen kind of two paths. One is, and, and a lot of times those paths kind of merge, obviously on this show, we have only painting company owners that are doing over a million. So they, they figured out what they want typically, but you, they start as a painter and it just kind of ends up happening or they start as a business owner that, that they're going to run a painting company. It sounds like you you went into it as I'm in. A, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, and I'm going to to better people's lives and and make a difference in my community, and I'm going to do that through painting. But maybe you could have even selected something different. Am I thinking about this the right way? Yeah, no, I think that's a lot of it. I mean, we did some other services when I was more heads on. We we did some roofing, we did some siding, we did some kitchen remodels and bathroom remodels, and and I was. I, you know, I was, you know, master of nothing type of guy. I was pretty proficient in everything, but not great at any of those. Um, I think the one thing I was good at is having this vision and trying to lead this uh, and then probably recognizing some talent of people that, you know, could help get there and would want to be in the front, you know, in the front seat with me while it's going on. Um, and, and that is, that's always been critically important to me that if it wasn't this, you know, we, I used the phrase years ago, we're a professional company that paints. Painting is the service we provide. Um, I just hate the word painter because it has these weird negative connotations. I mean, I am the president of a company first. Yes, we paint. And, and yes, our guys are painters, but they're project managers and they're crew leads and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're these great people that this is the, the venue for it. Uh, this is not the existence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's unfortunate, you know, it, it is unfortunate that the industry sort of has that perception a little bit, um, but I think people like you and and entrepreneurs like you and and who are creating a culture where people are proud to work there, you know, actually wearing their gear out, I think that is going to eventually change the tide. You know, I, th I think that with the PCA and and a lot of the you know professionalization is obviously a big term in the industry right now. But but all this transitioning, I think within the next five maybe ten years, I hope that that stigma is no longer a thing. I love it. I mean, we're still one of the few companies in our area that has a 401k, right? Mm -hmm. That has health insurance. We have short-term and long-term disability for our folks. So if they blow out a knee at softball or, or break a hand, uh, we had a guy who broke a foot doing his own deck repair job. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're covered on that. And, and that's important. That's, no one's going to lose a house. You work here, you're not 
losing a house, right? Having a car repoed because you got in a car accident and you can't go back to work. That's not even uh, on our mind here. Um, the new facility we're putting in is going to have a 4,000 square foot fitness center in it. I'm, wow. I'm going to be hiring, you know, mostly predominantly males, 18 to, to 30. And, and if they're females, they're going to be younger, our field staff. And so that's going to resonate with them. It's a place they can go before or after work, get a quick workout yeah. and grab a shower. And uh, I think that will be a desirable draw to our, you know, keep our people happy. But uh, I think it's going to be powerful doing interviews at the new place. They're going to walk through a showroom uh, and they'll see the fitness center and know like work-life balance is huge with us. So nobody in my company's uh, cell phone number is on any piece of material ever, anywhere. Um, we have methods for that. We have great answering service here. We answer the phone from 7 a.m. to 5 we have a whole company-wide text app that, you know, guys can text and have it be screened through the app and we can see that stuff. Um, and our main thing is just plan, schedule, do what you said you're going to do. And there's no reason to contact people out of business hours. Um, all those extra contacts are because generally somebody screwed something up or forgot or is making uh, up for a mistake. It was never intended to get phone calls at seven or eight o'clock at night. You're fixing not doing your job at some other point, you know, so our crews, they may send funny texts and memes, but they're not getting a, hey, go to this job tomorrow text. That doesn't happen here. Yeah. I mean, you, you guys aren't doctors. Nobody's dying. So right. if things are running how they should be, you can take time off. I use the line, there's no such thing as a pain emergency. I mean, yeah. you know, if our customers say, what if I have to call you tonight? It's like, call 911, then your insurance company, and then then we'll show up tomorrow at seven and we'll handle whatever whatever we need to, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so you guys are basically building the, the Facebook or Google headquarters of painting over here with a 4,000 square foot workout facility. Maybe we'll, we'll have a cafeteria at some point here. I like this. Yeah, we do have a cafeteria there. It's going to seat oh, about goodness. up to a hundred. So um, wow. I, I don't have the, I don't have the bankroll for childcare. I got a couple of people here that are uh, leveraging for that and dog daycare services. Those got wow. these, uh, this, you know, and honestly, uh, in your podcast and, and talking with other professionals that I respect, I mean, you talk about the cost of hiring people and, and keeping people. So $30,000 in gym equipment, I'll make that back in six months, yeah. you know, attracting one good person and keeping them on board. Um, you know, to me, that's like having new trucks and nice tools versus beat up stuff. Uh, you get the guys to take better care of it and appreciate going to work when they feel good and look good. You know, it's just... Um, I didn't think I'd be in a position to do this, honestly, and, and we are. And so I think it makes sense to do it. So That's a great point, man. It's an investment into the business. And yeah, you sit down and you actually do the math and you think about it again, like a business owner uh, about the payout that you get from what other people might say. Why would you waste? waste? Obviously, it's not a waste. Why would you waste $30,000 on, on gym equipment? Yeah. I mean, you, you keep one person for a year longer and, and they do a good job. You, you just made it back. And obviously, you're probably going to get a lot more ROI than that. Yeah. And I think, and that's part of it. We're going to be hiring people that would find that appeal. You know, mm -hmm. that, that is our demo. It's, it, that is going to be a perk where some things are not as important to guys. Um, but in our business, being able to do that, get a quick workout, um, I, I think it'll be valuable. And, you know, the worst case scenario is if we determine it's not, we sell the equipment and repurpose the space to maybe something that they want. But that was a pretty unanimous uh, across the board. Hey, pie in the sky. What, what would really be cool to have. We got that from a lot of staff. So that's great. So you, you solicited feedback, you knew you wanted to give them something and that was what came out on top. Uh, we walked, we, when we, you know, put an offering on the building, uh, it's just down the street from where we're at now. I mean, we walked all of our staff through that and said, wow. here's my rough sketch. Uh, this is where I think the showroom should go. Uh, I mean, every department weighed in and we made a wish list that was like, you know, name things that you need to have in your office and your workspace name things that you, you know, you, you'd like to have, or if money was no option, you would buy yourself. Um, you know, so a seating area coffee bar was one that was popular with uh, the ladies up front here. That's super cheap. They don't want to be at their desk. They want a time they can all be together for a few minutes in the morning sure. or afternoon and, and take a five or 10 minute break. No big deal. We can, we can make that happen. That's, that's totally worth doing. So. And how many employees do you have right now? We're at 51. 51. And you walked you walked, well, maybe it wasn't all 51 at that point, but you walked almost that number of people through. We did. Yeah. So we did it with uh, kind of our key people, our leadership people, the project managers uh, once, and then we did the cabinet guys we took through there separately just so they could have some individual 
kind of sure. time to talk and ask questions. Um, and then, yeah, we kind of did a, whoever else didn't get a chance to go or wants to see it again once we had our first drawing, we brought them back through there. And, and people made notes that were really good. I mean, my concern about it was this giant investment um, in being wrong, right? Where do we get yep. people? You know, that logistics matters. Where should our sales be in relation to our office, to our operations people, um, you know, so that it's not, we can't all be on top of each other, but we don't want to be at opposite corners either. And so getting that, them to weigh in on that, um, I just feel more comfortable operating that way. Yeah, that's great, man. So we, we um, have obviously heard a lot in the industry, uh, especially as of late, about hiring difficulties mm-hmm. and labor shortage. Has that impacted you? Uh, it's definitely harder than it's been. Um, we're spending a little bit more money to be out there in front of Indeed, um, but we're also pickier than I was two years ago. And three years ago, um, you know, I had the belief falsely back in the day that we could probably take somebody that was damaged or fixed them or had some, you know, smudges on their record and this and that. Um, we're a little bit more picky about who we're going to sit down. Our pre-screening is better, um, but we've grown. I mean, we've netted 20 employees since COVID started. So, uh, you know, that it's not been an issue, but it's, it's real work to get there. You know, it's real time invested in doing those interviews and screenings and on-site trial days and evaluations and trying to, you know, get an idea for their behaviors and the way they think and say they're going to be a great fit for this team or that team. Um, you know, that, that's been a lot more work than I think it was years ago, but our, our staff is a lot higher quality. So I think it's, it's worth it, you know? Yeah. Do you kind of take another step into this for company owners, you know, that they have a smaller company, they don't have 51 people to sort of draw from. And they are, they have been struggling to find employees or they feel capped in some way by what, what they perceive to be a, a lack of labor. What advice do you have for them? I, what I was guilty of back in the day is control, right? I didn't want to give up control. And I think if you give people more control, I think you see the better, you know, leadership skills or problem solving skills out of staff. So that's one of the first things is give them enough freedom to make their own decisions and, and, and do what they think they're going to do. I mean, people that feel suffocated and stymied don't ever develop and grow and it's just not comfortable and they're uneasy all the time. So that's probably the number one thing. Um, the other thing too, is we've had more success hiring the right person with zero experience than the career painter. Yeah, I can do everything. Um, we will spend more time and effort trying to fix those people than we will training up a new person, honestly. Uh, so yeah. get a new guy that gets it, wants to work. And we had a walk-in interview a couple of years ago. He was one of the favorite guys in all the company. He just knocked on the door, said, I think I'd like painting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I work in a factory. I hate it. I mean, he's like, he's everyone's favorite guy because he, he's a sponge. Um, yeah. you know, he was the right guy. We taught him how to do everything. He knew nothing when, when he started. Um, if he went to a competitor right now, he'd be managing projects and all over the place. And he's 25 years old. Um, you yeah. Know, so. The right people make a difference. You know, I've been, I've been lots of mistakes in hiring these guys that are 30, 40, 50 years old, a lot of stops, never found a home. And I think the quicker you realize if they were really that worthwhile, they'd be someone's right-hand man and they would never lose them. If that guy was really good, you know, they wouldn't be looking for a home. Uh, we do ask that question in every interview, you know, what's important to you? Why are you looking for a job? And, and then I shut up as long as I can. Um, and, and let them just go and they'll continue to go a little bit deeper with that. And, you know, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's time with family, sometimes it's respect. Um, but they'll often really clue you into what they're looking for. And, uh, it, and we may not be a good fit, but if, you know, they say work-life balance, I like to work on a team. I like to get stuff done. I like to be rewarded when I do a good job. I like to be recognized when I do a good job. I like to learn. Um, we check those boxes, you know. Yeah, I, w- I want to touch on a couple of things right there, because I think you made some really good points that could be missed. And and one of the things you said that I think is very powerful is you just stop talking and you listen. And I think when you pause, people have a natural inclination to fill pauses. So if you if you pause or if you someone says, well, I want the job for X, Y or Z and you dive deeper, you, you dive one or two levels deeper. OK, well, you want it for for this. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? you'll pull so much more information out of them because people will have a compulsion to kind of almost vomit everything to you. And then you can really understand who you're talking to. Is it, is that kind of how you approach that? Yeah. And I, I follow a script for a sit down face-to-face interviews. If I'm doing it or Garrett or Mike are doing them, 
um, just so there's some continuity. If we're comparing notes on somebody, we have yep. the same questions. But you know, we ask people, "What do you like to do in your spare time?" And that's early on, right? So that's an icebreaker. And I didn't design this. Um, I took some pieces from what I found online, but it's easier to talk about why well, I have kids. They're in basketball or in baseball. I like hunting. I like fishing. Um, okay, now we've got the barrier down. This doesn't need to be this very formal. You know, it's okay if you misspeak or make a mistake. Right. I say, you know, I didn't really mean it to sound like that way. I, I did like where I worked before. I just didn't like some of the guys were tough on me. It wasn't that I hated the job or the owner. Um, and then they'll elaborate. And that's critical too, because uh, there's two sides to every story, you know, yep. but uh, I think, yeah, pa I haven't paused in this interview at all. I've just been rambling, but um, you know, I think that it, in, in that interview, one-on-one -on -one setting, it's just kind of confrontational naturally. They're coming right. to our place to do it. It's this ominous. They don't know the questions and, um, you know, and I think just getting them to relax, talk about themselves, wives, kids, family, you know, what you like doing. Um, that's more important to me than work. We'll, we'll get to the, if you don't know how to paint, we'll fix that. But yeah. And I think another really good point you made was what is driving them. You know, I think, I think the wrong companies always assume it's money mm -hmm. and, and that, you know, they're there because they need a paycheck. And I think if you, if you approach hiring, whether you're here because you want a paycheck and you just assume that those are the kinds of people you're going to hire. They're there because they want a paycheck, not because they want a career or you said respect. That's a, that's a very different thing. Yeah. And you get a, you know, a quarter an hour raise to the next company and boom, they go up because they saw an ad at, you know, the local paint store for that. And they're like, oh, this is, they're paying me $20 and 25 cents. So let's check it out. Um, you know, that, that stuff's key to us. The, the why, what are we yeah. doing? We have, we have weekend work available every weekend. Our guys make so much money that it's not really on their radar. If they have a trip or something planned, they'll pick up some weekend time because it pays a lot of money for us to work weekends. Uh, they make really good money doing that. Um, but most of our people like their personal time a lot, you know? So yeah. like Monday, Tuesday, we're going to work later hours in the day. By Thursday, it's everyone's goal to get guys out of the field by three. Um, so it feels like they have a, a full weekend, you know, getting home at six thirty, seven o'clock on a Friday kind of kills yep. that, you know, and, and that's right. not a good look either. So that's great, man. So when, when you hire, obviously there are a lot of changes that a uh, painting company goes through any company from zero to over 5 million, I guess, can you speak a little bit to that? What, what you would recommend for, for a company, maybe kind of along the whole journey, if they're at a hundred thousand or 500,000 or a million, who do you hire first? Um, you know, what do you kind of delegate first and what struggles did you run into as you scaled and how would you advise other, other owners to kind of deal with those struggles? Yeah. Um, it's, I think the best thing is to figure out what you might actually be good at. And if you don't know, I think you need to ask your friends and family. Um, Hmm. The, the finances and doing the bookkeeping is not my deal. I'm not good at it. I put it off. I did a crappy job. It's just not my deal. Um, and I would try to rank those things. So you got marketing, you got your bookkeeping, you have your sales, you might have your field management, you might have your training. And, and I would just do a real thorough self-evaluation. Ask a, a spouse or a really good friend or a parent, like, hey, I need you to be honest. I'm not a 10 at all these. Where am I not that great at? Um, and then I think you hire from there. I, my first outside deal um, was an office administrator because I was better and more effective in the field, starting and finishing jobs and training and bringing back the money than I was accounting for the money or answering the phone. So for me, that was super simple. Um, you know, and then I think I was probably as good as anybody can be on the job site, job flow, managing people, getting stuff done. Um, so I brought in an outside estimator, even when I was still managing projects, you know, I didn't, didn't work myself out of the field. So it was this nice, cushy, you know, white collar job. And I stayed clean. It made more sense for me to work on the nuts and bolts of the, the technical stuff. Um, you know, and when I was able to hire somebody to do that, then I, you know, I had another person for the office because the volume was up there. The, the woman I hired to do the, the stuff at the beginning was far more better doing just bookkeeping and higher end financials and stuff like that. Um, and then that's more her deal. So I, the next hire in the front office was very customer forward, customer service person. And the third person we hired for the office was a very young, focused, energetic marketing person who isn't as good on the phone as, as Danielle is with customer service stuff. She's phenomenal marketing. So we, we started to specialize these things once I took them off my plate um, with people that you know, hey, you might have done all of these parts of this job when it was just one of you, but it's three now. 
Um, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it doing that right now. Where we just had a meeting on that today. What things do we think we're just not great at that may change how we hire? Uh, this new place is going to have a showroom. None of my sales guys, I don't think, are necessarily inclined to do design work in a showroom. So that next person we hire has to be more design focused, comfortable inside sales showroom, playing with fun stuff. Uh, that's not who I have. So yep. rather than trying to make them that, we're going to find someone that can do that better. You know, that's great. Right, right people in the right seats. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to do that when you're smaller. And you know, to your question, yep. I mean, that's it. Trying to guess that, but I think that self evaluation is you know, or get a business coach that will do that really thoroughly with you and say, okay, um, you know, I, I was super slow to spend that money. Uh, I thought that spending that was going to be impossible to overcome the overhead of having somebody here all day answering phones. And I will tell you that it created this level of expectations for myself of, well, I'm responsible for them. I'm not failing. So if I need to generate more leads or do more networking or get more done during my day, hell, that's what I'm going to do because letting them go is not an option. They're here, they're mine, we're a team, you know, that's, that's our history. So, you know, yeah, I think setting that bar is, is helpful too. Guys get nervous about it, but um, for a sole proprietor who's always done everything yourself, it gives you a little bit of accountability, you know, that's more similar to having a, a wife or a spouse or a kid where it's not just you. Yeah. Anymore, you know? Yeah. There's definitely pressure there and someone else and maybe the, the, their family is depending on you at this point. Yeah. Yep. That's, um, yeah, I mean, entrepreneurship, business ownership, growing businesses, it is really not for the faint of heart. It is a, a stressful thing. Yeah. Um, so kind of a related question. Uh, I'd actually put up a, a post in the paint ad that PCA Facebook group a while back. And one of the comments that, that people wanted to know about is how you paid yourself as you grow. So, mm-hmm. you know, zero to five million. How, how did you when did you start paying yourself what you would consider well, or, or were you really focused on investing back into the business? How did that work? Yeah, I invested back into the business probably too long. Um, but with that said, we're purchasing a really nice building. So maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, I, I do pay myself a salary similar to what like an operations manager would be in our business. Um, I take at least half my salary in distributions you know, that I'm doing. So I'm just not getting killed on taxes. You know, my CPA has advised me that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly, you know, to be totally frank, there's the, the hidden perks of owning a business and cars and phones and things like that, that, yep. you know, get, get washed into that, that you have to account for. Um, but I think the faster there's an accountability when you're setting a salary and you're not saying, oh, there's 10,000 in the bank. I'm taking out five for my pay this week. When that's metered and predictable, it forces habits of making the right decisions when Oh, it may be tough to live on, you know, a thousand dollars a week or whatever that may be, you know, getting by. Right. But if that's what's going to be in there for sure, then that's what it is. Take the rest out, you know, quarterly or at the end of the year or before tax season or whatever. Um, but I think, you know, putting those constraints uh, are important. Yeah. Having the the discipline to yeah. to make sure your your business has what it needs. And yeah, the, you know, the account, you know, the phones and cars and everything. I mean, those you obviously need Ferraris. John, I mean, I, the three Ferraris you have were a necessary business expense and don't let anyone tell you that they were not. Well, my mom used to give me a lot of flack about not, you know, investing a ton of money in retirement when I was younger. And, and she was correct. I mean, it'd be worth more now, right? If I did this at 21 than 31, but um, I felt like the best investment was the business. And, you know, I, I think it still is, um, but a little bit more balance back then probably would have been a good idea. You know, not just putting every dollar back into it, um, you know, or perversely spending it in my 20s and early 30s. You know, that that would have been wise, um, you know, advice that I wish I could talk to myself and say, hey, I don't care if it was 40 bucks a paycheck. You should have put that in a 401k. You know, if you need more money, then figure out ways to make more money at the front end, not steal more from yourself that you can't afford on the back end. Yeah, that's the solution, right? Yeah. Yeah. I um, I have a joke with my wife when. I'm making a decision that I know is probably a bad decision. I say, well, well, that's future Brandon's problem. Screw that guy. You know, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Not really a great long-term thought process there though. Um, Okay. So I want to touch on uh, winter slow season. You know, obviously you guys have a a pretty brutal winter. Do you have any advice for um, other painting company owners or how do you try to stay busy during the winter? How do you approach that? 
Um, the, the last two years hasn't been slow up here. We've been booked all through, especially the holidays. I mean, we got 10 inches of snow yesterday up here. Um, so traditionally though, when we have a slow season, um, we tell new hires, we're going to, if you're good enough to be with us in the summer, we're not laying you off. We're keeping you all winter. So if everyone's hours need to go from 45 to 35, then that's what we did. Uh, and that was the case. Now we've been blessed last two seasons to be booked where that was the concern. Um, but you know, we didn't provide a lot of discounts. Um, we would really just start having conversations with people, even in August. Um, you know, if it's an interior, are you sure? Can I, can you just do me a favor and do this in December? December's tough. Um, you know, my first available for your job might be September anyhow. So would five or six weeks back kill you? Cause it would mean the world to me and just be honest with them. Um, I think that got us more traction than you know, five or ten percent discount or free paint upgrade or some of the other things that people do. Right. Um, and it might be because I'm a little cheap, but I just don't love those type of discounts. I, I kind of like honesty. Um, you know, if, if you could do your job in December, it would be. It made me the difference of uh, guys having worked for that day or not. To be totally honest with you, um, most of our clients say, "Well, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. My dining room can wait," uh, or I have family coming in and it can't. You know, but. Um, we would just front load those conversations. And we did a little bit more. And again, before Elizabeth is a smaller operation, it was really kind of helter skelter with um, email marketing. We might run an email campaign to try to drum up stuff. We would call back, you know, open estimates and try to close those deals. Um, but our stuff closes within a couple of days, generally. Uh, very few of those five, six month dead leads are going to say, you know what? Yeah, I do want you to come. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so we did that stuff. We might do a little more Facebook. But the problem is, when you need to do that, you're busy. You know, by the time you're slow enough to do that, it's too late. You're not yeah, marketing talk. marketing happens before you need marketing. Yeah, yeah. so um, I struggled with that a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. But my main change was actually in the estimate at the home, saying, "Is it possible to do this in January?" You know, yeah, something we could we could move down the road a little bit. That's great, man. Yeah, that that is the first time we've really heard that on the show, you know, and it sounds, I mean, so that's a relationship driven approach there. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're essentially just being honest and open and asking. Yeah. Sometimes and people ask, say, you yeah, you know, for a couple hundred bucks or for a thousand dollars off this big project, I will. And then you can determine if that's worth it or not. But I mean, most of the time they, especially back then, our customers, they want you to succeed. I mean, they want you to be around in five years when they need you again. Um, most people are not you know, making so much money off this that people feel gouged. And, and so right. that, that human element is, is a pretty powerful tool that I think we kind of forget sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We think purely business and numbers and strategies, and we forget we're all people. And I think generally people are good and not trying to, to hose you or, or, you know, they care, they care a little bit, at least. Yeah, I, I mean, I had a guy for a seal code job at my house in my driveway that I tried handing money to uh, in, in the fall. And would not take it and said, call me back in the spring. And I said, I don't want to call you back. I want to be on your list. I'm cool with you keeping my couple hundred dollar deposit so that I know I have a spot with you. Um, let's do this. And, but his thing was now almost like he couldn't trust himself. Um, you know, he said, oh, you just, you have to call me back. Well, I didn't call him back. I called another person that took a deposit because I, I wanted that relationship to go both ways. I was fine committing to him. And, you know, I understood he probably couldn't fit me in the fall. You know, he said he might be able to. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm good with more of a sure thing and I'm good with, you know, kind of helping you with your business. And if you're scrambling, working a bunch of overtime in October to try to wrap this up, mine's not critical. I'm cool to go in April, you know, mm-hmm. let's just do that. So. Yeah. Interesting. Um, are there any, you've brought up marketing a couple of times. I think you, you have someone who's doing a lot of your social media marketing. Uh, I mean, it, have you done any marketing that, that you found to be really successful and have you done any marketing that you thought would be successful, uh, but was wildly unsuccessful? Yeah. Um, we've done some stuff that I didn't think was going to be successful. That is. And, and actually oddly enough, it, it's, it's a multiple company kind of cellophane wrapped uh, print print deal <laughs> um, that I really thought, well, this, this is worth a shot. I knew the guy and, you know, liked him and said, it's not that much money. We'll try it. I wasn't expecting much. Um, why it works for us is I told them I had to be on the outside. So if mm. people open it or don't open it or throw in the trash, they're still seeing it. And mm. we didn't do painting. I think that's a lot of problem that painters get into 
interior and exterior painting, that, that's not cool. No one cares about that. That's not fun. Um, custom faux cabinets is fun. Handrail refinishing is fun. You know, staircase redoing is fun. Custom, really cool front doors are interesting, you know, but painting walls from beige to gray, which is all we've been doing for six years, uh, that's not interesting to anybody. So mm -hmm. from that marketing, we went just for handrails. So we're a painting company that only marketed in that mailer for handrails. Um, and our return on that investment has been wildly successful. And we, we get several calls every time that goes out and we're talking that margin on that is maybe a five or 6% marketing cost for that. That's um, so that's been good. And I didn't think it was going to be um, the traditional stuff that I thought would be good that we did. You know, we did some videos on stuff, some kind of how to yeah. stuff that I just think we did do a good enough job marketing and supporting. And it was kind of poorly done and that didn't, didn't provide any traction, some how-to things, you know, sure. we get asked all the time, how do you do a paint touch-up? Because kids were going to mess up walls and no one wants to call us back to deal with that. And, and some things that, that we thought were a good idea that we just didn't execute well enough. So they didn't stick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That stuff, the, the how-tos and tutorials and YouTube channel, that's a definitely a long-term, yeah. you got, you got to stick to that long-term to see the results. Yeah. Um, Awesome. And yeah, so, so you basically found a way in that mailer first off to make sure you were visible, um, regardless of what occurred. And then second to stick, to stand out basically, you know, even if, even if you are as a painting company owner, only offering interior or exterior, somehow you have to stand out. You have to do something that's different. Um, you guys obviously focus on something that is quite different. So it makes it kind of naturally easy to stand out, but but some, somehow you, you just, you don't want to just say we slap paint on the walls. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be anything personalities of guys, you know, I think we have a lot of stuff that it shows our crews in it. Mm -hmm. um, they present well, people want to know who's coming to their house. They're not hiring me. They know that now, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not even going to do their estimate. So they're not buying me anymore. That's, that's years ago. You know, yeah. uh, who is going to come to my house? Can I take a look at these guys? Are they having fun when they show up or are they going to not like being at my house? You know, if you, if you do cool stuff, even we did a couple of things where it's just a front door refinish, you know, fiberglass refinish. Um, people still don't know you can do that. So that had traction to us. That's like very generic. Who cares? It's, it's a door refinish. But yeah, um, that resonated with clients in a way we didn't think it would, you know, to kind of zoom in on some of those photos. Right. So have a little different interest in, in how to instead of just a before and after room or home. Sure. You know, I think that's that's helpful, too. That's great. Yes. Find, finding a way to stand out. Um, from others do you I guess do you see the the painting industry changing over the next five to ten years and if so how do you see it changing I mean I think we're we're overdue to have it become a little bit more of a of an official real life you know contracting companies right a, a not, real life <laughs> like, like a, not not one guy in a van right so I, I and I would love that I love I Chuck. people all the Come time on, I, John, guys, I love Chuck I know I got guys in our neck of the woods that I talk to all the time that uh, I don't care if we get a, get a job or don't get a job. As long as the guy that gets it is not going to be someone that's going to cause us problems down the road by, you know, not doing things right. The taillight warranty. The, I'd rather have it go to a competitor of mine. That's a legitimate competitor. Yeah. It hurts the industry overall. Fair. We get it. We, we we're friendly with each other. It's fine. Yeah. Um, maybe Mr. Smith liked their estimator more than mine because he smiled different. That's cool. Um, you know, so I hope that happens. I'm not positive if it's going to. I mean, um, I, I sit on the board as a, as a director for a painting and disaster restoration academy. They're trying to do some online schooling to, to have this be more of a legitimate kind of following like a union program, but for an open company. Um, you know, the, the Mike Rowe has been beating this drum for 15 years now, right? That uh, I would love to see. I think that might be one of the first aspects is if the labor gets a little bit more formal. Uh, some of the fly-by-night guys go away because people want to work for a good company. It's going to take care of them rather than the guy that pays them cash on Fridays. Um, you know, maybe it starts that way. Maybe it starts with the employees instead of the actual companies a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely are approaching it from a very, almost, a, I would say almost a corporate um, approach, but not a, not a corporate, a corporate with a Facebook feel. Obviously Facebook is, is corporate, but yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice to see. Do you have any advice and anything that may, you maybe haven't already shared for uh, painting company owners that their business is, is not at 5 million? Maybe it's not even at 500,000. Um, what advice do you have for them if, if they'd like to get to 5 million? 
Uh, gosh, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think if you want to take something from three, four, five hundred thousand to five million, it's really not as hard as people think it is. Um, when we all started painting, painting a big room or big house was difficult. It's the same thing. What what seemed you know massive to, at one time is not anymore. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. If you're consistent with stuff um, and you take some calculated risks, it really isn't that hard to do. Um, you just have to take some calculated risks, and I think. You know, I've been lucky that some of mine have worked, but I've had more fail. I mean, it's not easy. Um, I'm the first generation of this company. When I did quotes, you know, back in the day, people said, oh, is this your father's operation? It really pissed me off because I'm like, no, I built this. What are you talking about? You know, this is me. Um, you know, so it wasn't given to me. Um, and I, But I think if you take some calculated risk and, and try to find out where you're weak, that, you know, you can do this, hiring the right people. Um, you know, don't just hire the guy because he says he has 30 years experience. If you need someone to do your books and answer your phone because you're not good at it, then, then that's your first hire. Maybe you only have three painters, you know, but if you need someone to answer the phone, then, then, then that's it, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Being, being willing to hire even even if maybe you're a little afraid at that point. Yeah, I think the next step. you have to. I mean, no business that's really made it did it just absolutely super slow and predictable. I mean, they're there are people that did stuff that just was an insane risk um, that, you know, that's not my personality. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not owning Amazon or Tesla. You know, I didn't get into books and now I own everything with home. Oh, the world. Books, yep. Right. That was nuts. And if you would have gone back and said, Oh, the way you're going to become a you know bazillionaire is going to be to, you know, deliver groceries and all this other stuff. People would say, no way. Yeah, right. But I think if you take some, some risk and then uh, I still do uh, on both sides of it, uh, some, you know, uh, peer mediation stuff. Talk to your peers and, and, and ask them what what should I do when. Um, guys in other businesses will be super helpful. Carpet cleaners, you know, landscapers to say uh, this is how I do that. You're not their competition. Where your competition might tell you to get lost. You know, those people in your area will be like, oh, you know, I I had that too. I used to advertise with door hangers and I gave that up because it was terrible. Right. I used to hire all the best guys and I stopped that. I'd rather train. I mean, they'll give you that information um, before you can even afford a business coach. You can get a lot of that stuff for free. Just find a, a couple mentors. What a great point. Yeah. And, and even not, I mean, obviously you want to be cognizant that what works in one industry and in your service area might not work in painting, but just finding other, other companies that are doing well in your local area. I mean, go, go to, your chamber of commerce, go see if there's any sort of entrepreneurship group, go to these kinds of, of groups, connect with these kinds of people and small business owners and even larger business. So they want to help other business owners. You know, ultimately yeah, that's 100%. Yeah. I mean, I've been in a, a business network for 15 years. That was a, a huge part of my marketing right back in the day. Um, Is it BNI or? I've mean, been in BNI. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's others. And um, but, you know, some of those more seasoned professionals, I got in, I was, you know, 23 years old and I had a cell phone attached to my hip. I was in painters whites. I didn't had your dad, your dad's company that you just took over. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but those older members, I mean, they want you to do good. They feel some satisfaction in kind of training and teaching you. Uh, and I'm still friends with these guys now. Like I have, I had no idea. I knew you were going to be successful. But I had no idea that you're buying a building like that, or that you that's so this, that's so cool, you know? man. Um, and they had some stake in that because I would go to them in December and say, "Hey guys, I need work like now. You know, does anyone need a couple small jobs? It's I, I don't ask for a lot of favors. I'm pretty proud, but I need work like the next four weeks. And I, I got two guys that I'm beating, and I can't lose them. And it's super important to me. You know, does anyone have a job that you know you were thinking about getting done that maybe we could fast track?" Oh yeah, you know we got this spare bedroom. Johnny's off at college. It's a good time. Hell, let's do it. You know, and it, just some humility helps. Be willing to ask for help. I, I joke around at the office. One of my favorite smart Alex sayings is that you know I'm the best at being humble. That's really funny. It took <laughs> really me a second. It. it took me a second. That's good. It, it does. I'm, I'm really good at being humble. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, cool, man. Is there anything else that you wanna you you wanna say? No, I mean, I, I really appreciate the time. I hope we, you know, got some content out there that may help, you know, oh, yeah. under recruiters or people that are, you know, getting into the game later, but companies that are newer. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm available and I'm I'm totally happy to share tips and tricks. You know, people want to get a hold of me too. Like, I, I don't mind telling you how we do it and why. Um, it may not work. 
you know, our, our stuff, our company culture may not fit uh, or may not be right for someone else as an owner. And, and that's cool too. There's a different way to do it. But if somebody thinks that what I'm saying may, may help, then uh, you can find them. Do you want to maybe share an email address or what would be the yeah. best way for people? Yeah, to email is always good. Uh, my email is just John, J-O-H-N at MacFarlandPainting.com. M-A-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D Painting.com. John, that's responsive. I mean, tell me what it is. I've I've showed guys financial stuff. I have no problem with that. I mean, I, I wish I had more money than I did or do. Uh, you know, it's it's something we're constantly working on. So there's, uh, I'm not too proud to do that and ask for help. And I think there's guys that do different stuff in different markets that I can pick away stuff from and bring it back for us too, because we are we are by no means a, a finished product or, or doing everything perfect. So. Yeah. Well, this is a perfect example of, of reaching out for mentorship and for people who are farther along and getting that help. Um, John, just, just to clarify. So I've been saying your, your company's name wrong the whole time and your, your name wrong the whole time. And it's Mick Farland or Mac Farland. It really makes oh. no, I don't know if you can see, I'm not sure it, it uh, you're not going to offend me either way. If you type in Mick Farland or Mac Farland painting.com, I got them both because everyone, everyone has their own one account. way or another. Yeah. It's all good. No worries. All right, John. Well, thanks. Thanks, man. This was amazing. Thank you for being on the show. And uh, I think people are going to derive a ton of value. And I hope that some people do take you up on your offer to reach out yeah. to you and get some advice. Love to talk to your people, Brandon. Thank you. Uh, hopefully I didn't, didn't talk too dang much. Oh, you did great, man. You did great. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, John. Thanks. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.